did it. We did it, Joe. Hey. Hey. in college I took a theater course I needed something to break up the monotony of my history studies some semesters it was bowling others golf whatever the elective was I wanted to make sure to have fun and make no mistake about it I absolutely love theater it taught me a thing about thinking on my feet performing in front of crowds and getting over stage fright one of the things my theater teacher taught me is that to get over fear you have to believe the setting the stage the entire environment is real. Once you believe it's real, you perform like it's real. Then the crowd will believe it's real. Soon everyone in the building will be thrust into the play like a symbiotic relationship. And it all becomes performative. Sort of like our American political landscape. There's an off-repeated saying that politics is the theater of the absurd. And I couldn't agree more with that assessment. And as on this week's podcast, we focus on the third branch of the government, the Supreme Court, it becomes readily apparent how it has evolved as the center stage of the American political performance. Now, there are two misnomers about our Supreme Court system. Number one, that race has never been a center figure in its operation and discourse, which we all know this a lie based off the history of cases surrounding race this court has decided, and of course, members of the court actually owning slaves. Number two, is that the ailing popular perception that justices are above partisanship. This has persisted in part because of the structural reasons that have kept Democratic voters from being radicalized against the court the way Republican voters have been. The legal community relies on the prestige of the court, which makes many prominent lawyers, albeit left-leaning, hesitant to offer harsh criticism of his conduct. Politically inclined law professors, litigators, even those who hope to serve in Democratic administrations on the federal, state, and local level, have an interest in downplaying the court's radicalism and partisanship. Because these lawyers are powerful Democratic constituents, strident criticisms of the court are left to those without similar ambitions or political connections. In other words, the call to change the structural integrity of the court via expansion comes strictly from the hard left, who ironically are left in the wings with their passionate argument. But if we are to cling to the absurdity that this quote-unquote democracy must be, we must be willing to go along with the lie that it all plays equally and fairly. 
in the aftermath of the 1960s and 70s regarding the Supreme Court decisions running due process, equality, segregation, abortion, church and state separation, business regulations, and of course, pornography, because that has been a popular topic this week. Conservatives vowed to reshape the court to its rightful, quote unquote, originalist founding. And therefore, they sought to recapture the court and bend it to their will. Thus, the birth of birth of the conservative legal organizations such as the Federalist Society and co-conspirators like the Heritage Foundation. Together, they helped groom generations of conservative attorneys who decisions would more often reflect the political and policy views of the Republican Party. But we're not supposed to talk about this. Because it would imply that the court system over the last 40 years hasn't been juiced and assaulted. The play is impartiality, and the actors are our justices and elected officials. It's amazing to think that the rise of the powerful conservative legal infrastructure that has led to a 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court and literally hundreds of conservative appointments in the judiciary, with Trump himself appointing 234 judges in just a four-year span, that is despite the fact that a Republican president has only won the popular vote only once in three decades. This system is broken. But the play? Well, that's moving along beautifully. Republicans, by the way, are the master at crafting a storyline and stage play that resonates with audiences. The fact that we're supposed to ignore the broken system of our politics and go along with the playwright ordained by our flawed founders is both laughable and astounding. But the theatrics just don't stop at us willfully ignoring the stage play lighting that is our campaign finance laws and the stage props that is our voting systems. It all carries over to the riveting performances of our senators who spent several days posturing in front of a camera for clips of fake passion and vitriolic pomposity that would make even the campiest Tony Award winner blush. We're actually not supposed to question the absurdity that a body of ill-informed, ill-mannered, ill-prepared, morally defunct elected officials should be deciding if an educated black woman is worthy. Remember, this is the same body that has a former SEC coach among its selective seating. From the jump, the white power establishment framed the confirmation hearings for the Honorable Kentonji Brown Jackson as a question of whether she was qualified to enter a white-dominated institution. But that's a deflection for a more urgent question of whether the Supreme Court is even a legitimate body that doesn't need a wholesale makeover. The sad part about all this is that they know it's all performative. They know it's all bullshit. They know Americans have a short attention span and even shorter patience for substantive things that matter. They know a soundbite travels further than a well-researched opinion. Say what you want about Republicans, but they know how to pound a fictional manufactured theme down our throats. It's no wonder that Republicans' favorite president was a former actor and their second favorite not only cosplays as their favorite, going as far as stealing his slogan, Make America Great Again, but he came from reality TV. America has been always been performative. And Republicans? They know. Well, they know that we'll keep patronizing the same performances, even though we know none of it's real. Because they know it's not whether it's real that matters, it's that they know that we don't feel like we have a say in the matter and that we are willing to adhere to the symbiotic relationship of the performance of our politics. They know, they know, they know. 
Welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I'm your host. On the show, we say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is just another way to say discovered. We are on culture. We are biased. We are black. If you're tuning in for the first time, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. If you're a returning listener, thank you for returning and listening. We often say that uh, you know those who are listening are part of our family. And so we ask you to continue to share the podcast with your family and friends via social media or text message or whatnot, because sharing is caring. All right, so this week's sponsors are MyCompassTax.com. You can reach them at 850-273-7193. It's tax season, so you need to get on that. If you're in the market for real estate, please contact Keystone Global Real Estate at 407-680-8510 at KeystoneGlobalRealEstate.com. And, of course, if you're in the market for estate planning, guardianships, probates, um, all that wonderful stuff, please contact Smith & Williams Trial Group at... uh, 321-872-7573 321-872-7573 or 888-798-4529 or 888-SWTGLaw. And, of course, you can reach us at Williams at SWTGLaw.com or, of course, at info at SWTGLaw.com as well. All right, brilliant. So we're going to get right into our pod this week, and I'm going to bring on my man who really needs no introduction because he's been on this pod several times, but uh, Jason. My man. What up, bro? Can't call it, man. I was waiting. When I heard uh, Shouty Law, I was like, "All right." <laughs> I was like, what, "What's happening with this one?" Yeah, you didn't know. You didn't know what. Uh, <laughs> right. I was, you didn't know where I was going with that one. Like, no, nah, I was like, "It's a dope song," but what, what are we taking? This one? <laughs> <laughs> What's the context <laughs> of why you want to put? You know, uh, yep. you know, must be two sides, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's something happening around. Like, okay, let's see how he lands this. this one. I land, did I land it though? <laughs> yeah, man, always. Yeah, always. <laughs> You know, um, first of all, thanks for jumping on the pod, man. Always, man. Always a pleasure. Of course, I'm talking to Jason Henry. He's been on the pod several times. Um, you know, I say the man doesn't need any introduction, but, you know, I just wanted to include him on there. And, pos- and honestly, just give a shout out because uh, Jason is always willing to jump on the pod, no matter how weighty the subject is. So for those who actually listen to pod and want to jump on, I always welcome people jumping on. Um, please don't get intimidated. Please don't think it's like you yeah, know, straight up. It's nah. you know we try to have a good time, man. And um, I hope you know you guys enjoy listening and enjoy listening to a point where you want to offer an opinion. Look, I'm sure there are plenty of people that have heard this pod. It's like that Jason dude is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> ain't stop me from coming. So I mean, <laughs> if that's your fear, go ahead and hop on. Yeah, right, right. Um, so. I always like to ask this, like, what did you pull from the opening? And it, mm-hmm. was, there, was there anything in particular that you found interesting about the opening statement or that you? Yeah. Um, I mean, to, to keep it funky, which I had to watch, I had to watch the highlights because I had a really busy week, right? a really busy couple of weeks at work. Yeah. So I just haven't had the opportunity to um, pay attention to it as closely as probably some other folks. And you're so, talking about the confirmation hearing. Confirmation so. hearing. So right. I kind of had to have, you know, not spark notes, but I kind of had to watch it after, you know, everything had kind of went down. Right. Um, you know, it, it was expected. Uh, honestly, I really thought it was going to go a little harder at her. Um, and I know there are plenty of folks who believe that she was treated, and she was treated extremely unfairly. I'm not saying she wasn't. But um, it, it kind of went as, you know, Planned. I thought, yeah, that, from Kavanaugh to what's um, uh, Bennett? Is that her name? Amy Colbert. Colbert. Yeah. Yeah. See, Amy, see Amy, Amy Barrett. Yeah. But um, 
you know, I, I saw a highlight where one of the uh, Republican senators asked her, like, you know, what are the, you know, pillars of the Constitution? And what are like, okay, is it this, 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 and this? Right. So it's, you know, they're asking her softball questions that she couldn't even answer, whereas they're asking um, this black woman, what's the definition of a woman? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's stuff like that that's meant to get under your skin and it's meant to, um, you know, elicit some type of reaction but I thought that she uh, was poised. I, I didn't expect anything, you know, outside of that. I thought that she was poised. She handled it well. That um, I saw a lot of people saying, "Oh, she she took him to school," um, which she did. But I also thought that was done on purpose. Like they're asking her these stupid questions, not because they really want to know her opinion on them. You know, if now they can trap her, great. Uh, but if not, I just thought those questions were meant to be for the news because the headlines I saw were all based off of what Republicans were doing. It was not designed to elicit a nuanced no. position. The, the thing is, no. and we can get into this, um, but the thing about it is, what's interesting is that how she, or her nomination process, mm-hmm. it became, you, you saw it in Kavanaugh, but you definitely, it, for some reason, I don't know if it's more pronounced because it's a black woman on there and just, yeah. it was really just became more, a lot more pronounced, but we saw that, None of this really is about her. No, not at all. Like you know, what I mean, it's yeah. really not even about her. No. And the questions she's that were almost collateral damage. She's a she's a prop figure mm-hmm. in a larger performance. Yeah. You know, and it's I hate to say that a black woman is a prop figure, but it really, it really was like that. Like they were. It didn't matter who would have been up there; they would have been a prop figure. Right. Yeah. They created this thing around her mm-hmm. because. They were trying to get their like clicks, their Twitter clicks. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You saw I mean, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz was checking his mentions and seeing how his uh, In the middle of a confirmation yeah, hearing. Absolutely. He's trying to see what hit. Yeah. You know? And so like, you know, the they knew that they, they just needed a minute and 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know? And they, a lot of them have 15 to 20 minutes to, to grill her. Yeah. But they know that they needed a, a, a minute and 30 seconds to really get yep. traction on the 24 hour. Yep. And it's not even, let's, let's call it a 12 hour. 12 hour tw- Twitter Twitterverse mm-hmm. you know that like am I gonna trend yeah and it's designed because I want to be able to get my clicks and then ostensibly then I want my donors to see that I am really 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 passionate about shit that really doesn't really add on to a whole lot of nothing and we'll get into all that in a moment like the yeah. specifics about that but yeah. the 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 thing that really was interesting is that you question what is the purpose of all this shit? Like, we don't even... Yeah. If we're talking about somebody's qualifications, yeah. send in the resume, let's have a search committee, evaluate it, and it should be clean like that. But it's not about that. It's political theater, man. Yeah. And it always has been, if we're being if we're being real. Yeah. Um, this was, to me, it was a larger play to take the uh, Senate and the House back in the fall and to yeah. take the presidency back in 24. Yeah. So... I think that Democrats are, and I won't get too deep into it because I won't skip around, but I think Democrats so often get caught up in, I really got to hold on to identity because that's how we hold on to our black voters. And I think that does us a disservice in the end Mm -hmm. that, okay, why are we treating this black woman this way? Which I agree. She should not be treated that way. However, that diverges from the idea that it doesn't matter who you, who you put up on the Supreme. It's a lifetime appointment, dog. Yeah, we need to examine the record of whoever it is, whether it's Kavanaugh, whether it was Thomas back in the day. It doesn't matter. Right. 
and it has turned into, and I, I shouldn't even say turned into, but it's just political theater. That's all it is. Like if you remember, even when Joe Biden was to me shepherding Clarence Thomas through yeah, uh, yeah. his hearing, yeah, it was the same. See how he treated Anita Hill, and then you know we we draw a line from that to this. It's to your point, like why are we doing this? Like the average American, and that's no diss to anybody. Um, we don't know what goes on at the Supreme Court. We've just been told that it's important that they rule on important cases like abortion and aff- right. affirmative action, whereas the vast majority of their time they're spent ruling on corporate law. And I can guarantee there's nothing interesting or sexy about corporate law, especially I, I saw one case where they ruled about uranium mining in states. That's that's not a sexy headline. Right. But if I tell you or if I ask you what's your definition of a woman and you say um, I'm not here to answer that question because it has nothing to do right. with case law unless it comes before the suit. I take that back. She said that that's being litigated across the country now, and I probably am going to have to rule on that in the future, and I would just like to not answer that so that I'm not seen as biased toward one, which is a fantastic answer. That's right. how you want a judge to, right. like you want there to be some you know idea of fairness. And they're like, oh, okay, so you don't want to answer that because you got this pro-leftist. And, of course, that pissed some people off, but I'm like, can't you see what they're doing? Right. Like they're doing this on purpose. You just had the don't say gay bill pass here. Yeah. Now they're trying to do it in Tennessee and Georgia and all these other states to where, you know, to boil it down to just a cultural war, I think, again, does us a disservice because that's not it. Right. But it just wasn't about her. It, it just wasn't. It takes away from the reality of the conversation. Like you mentioned, yeah. the don't say gay bill here, where I kind of really hate the terminology that the terminology, the title of that bill. And that's the Democrats gave it that. That's not the title of the bill. That's not the title we, of the yeah. bill, and it it ended up as most Democrats have a very linear thought of what what tracks and what doesn't, and Absolutely. then you come to find out that shit didn't hit. Yeah, you man. know, like as recent polling in Florida has shown that yeah. you know because the majority of us were socially conservative, man. The yeah. majority of us are, and, and homosexuality has been bad. That has been bad in this nation for or in this world for how long? And we've just seen a track to the left, so to speak, about accepting that into the full body politic mm-hmm. over the last maybe 10 years, 15. And all of a sudden, people are supposed to be OK with it. And again, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm saying that the vast majority have always believed right. that homosexuality was bad. Right. And you based think, on their own, based on absolutely. Their own ignorant understanding. Yes. And so you think that overnight people are just going to believe that your kids and I'm I'm. I'm uh, paraphrasing, but that your kids should be taught about homosexuality in schools. The vast majority of parents are not going to be okay with that. But here's the free, the reality situation. What I hated yeah. that I hated that they framed this that that bill the same way because they took away from the nuanced conversation of what yeah. was really happening. Is that number one? That wasn't even a curriculum. It wasn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, we're creating. Why don't we have the larger conversation about why are we creating laws that don't address? the holes in curriculum period. You know what I mean? Like I have a daughter going through, you know, she's in the second grade. They can't even get through the curriculum. And and even that curriculum is tired. You know what I mean? Like like, the black history month. Oh my God. Oh my God. That was so terrible that I I knew I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to like, I'm going to have to teach her. I knew this already, but I was like, I'm really going to have to like teach her because they don't teach Anything in three three weeks, yeah, and man. that and in in reality, which was fascinating, is that bill actually that was a Trojan horse. That bill really was about 
them not mentioning race mm-hmm. in great grades K through three. Yeah. It wasn't about, you know, because honestly, a lot of what they were talking about, it's not really taught in schools. Anyway, it's not right taught now. in schools anyway. anyway. Yeah. And it, it goes back to the race problems so right. to speak, that we have that again, it's, it's just a slow march back toward, you know, we're in, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but because I really want to get back to the Supreme Court while we're here, yeah, but, but we're, we're talking about the performance of politics yeah, all, altogether. Yeah. It's the same that's happening with Ukraine and Russia. Yeah. And even Palestine and Yemen and Saudi Arabia and China. And like, it's all going back. Cause even DeSantis, um, uh, they asked him if he was going to divest the state from any type of Russian investments that <laughs> they, and he completely just looked past that question. Right. But when it comes to uh, BDS or Palestinian rights, there's no companies that like they were trying to bar Ben and Jerry's for doing business in the state. Right. But <clears throat> because it was a politically, it's, they, they're political red meat. Easy, man. Yeah, it's, it's easy. easy. Yeah. It's easy. And the thing what bothers me, because this actually goes into what we're talking about, the like Democrats mm-hmm. are really, really dumb with messaging. Always have been. They're so <laughs> it's, always st- it's like, and y'all are yeah. so, it's like, Y'all are so stupid. Like yeah, what? Man. Y'all like you know like Remy Moss says. Is you are you dumb? <laughs> like you know are you dumb? Like 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 why do you always fall for the easy? Like you fall. Always. It's like Muhammad Ali in the ring, and you fall for the rope of dope every single round, yeah. for every single fight yeah, for the last forty years. Like you don't Charlie Brown with the with the football. Wah, 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 like you know what I mean? Like no, that's this. It's, it's like you fall for it every single time. There is and, a and I don't understand. Like I don't get it. I'm gonna try to find it, but there's a tweet that I saw that perfectly encapsulated what you what you mentioned about why Democrats are so bad at this. Um, I gotta go through my likes to find it, but it, it was perfect. It was like Republicans are uh, committed to destroying this democracy, but their commitment to it is stronger than Democrats' will to save it. That's and I'm like, that's perfect. Yeah. It really is because we 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 have all these institutions that specifically are supposed to support right and hold up the least of these. So it's like we have a social safety net that's been shredded right by Democrats and Republicans. But you just don't see. I thought I found it, but anyway, you just don't see the will and the fight in Democrats to stand up for the people that vote for them, right? And whenever that is mentioned in the mainstream, it's like well. We got Biden elected, so what are you doing? Right. Or we got so and so, so what are you doing to? But I don't think there's a a um, a a deeper understanding of how that type of politics is harmful. Right. Because if if you have and I, the, we can take this back to the the nomination, is that you saw that woman with the tear coming down her her face when Cory right. Booker was putting on his clown show. Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> but okay, can I, I have an opinion about that? But keep going. Yeah. So that. That obviously stuck with a lot of black women, just a lot of black people. It's like right. you got to go up there and take all these darts to be allowed to enter an institution that don't want you, right, at all. And you know, and I'm, I'm. This is conjecture, but I'm, I'm thinking in her mind, she's like, I'm sitting there taking all this madness, and I finally got somebody that's standing up for me. But she, the weight of everything, just probably hit her all at one time. It did. The emotional, the emotional yeah, weight. That's a of lot like, to go through. And, and 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 I think also when when we talk about you know uh, Katanji and and her her story, mm-hmm. but I think what what really was what was happening was the realization 
that here's this super accomplished woman, super accomplished woman. And it's like, it's demeaning when as a black person and you know, can just period, right. Yep. Has to go in front of white counterparts who you, you know, you're better than yep. and you're smarter than, yep. and they're sitting there and they have to evaluate your worth. Yep. That is the symptom of the black professional ideology across the world, especially in America. Like we, it's whether going back even to slave, like, you know, you're sitting on the chopping block and yep. they're looking at, they're looking at your physical stature or whether you could perform the work that they can't do. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's so it's like, it goes back into the instinctive understanding of like the black American, you know, subconscious of like, we always have to be at the center stage of the white eva- evaluation of enjoying their fucked up establishment. It, 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 and then and compare and then compound that with being a black yeah. woman, you know what I mean, who go, have to go through even more of a structural, mm-hmm. you know, have to fight through the misogyny and yeah. fight through patriarchy yep. and all that yep. other stuff. So yep. then you get to the stage, yeah. and then the weight of it, and you got white men talking to you mm-hmm. about why do you love child pornography? <laughs> right? Like, it's, you're it's like, so, you're like, it, you're like bitch, mean, what? Yes, <laughs> like, you're sitting there thinking like, God damn, like this is what I gotta sit. I gotta sit through and listen to this dumb shit from these white men. Yeah, and I know, like, I know she knew. She, I'm, I'm pretty sure they prepared her. They, you know, this is all gonna be a dog and pony show. Like, right. you're gonna get, you know, you're eventually gonna get on the bench, but this is just a portion of it that you have to go through. But if you watch how white people are treated. When they are nominated to the bench, obviously they are not subjected to that same type of identity scrutiny. No. Like we're not talking about a record of anybody. It's about as this black person, are you going to be. um, Are you good enough? I see. Okay. Yes. Are you good enough? But not are you good enough to serve? Are you good enough for what we're looking for? Yeah. Because there, there's a structure in place that, you know, we all know, we all call this a system and that the system was never built for us and all that. But it's, are you are you going to be uh, a little bit too radical in how you rule for mm-hmm. the white establishment or are you going to be accepted? And when, uh, was it Durbin that asked, like, why did you call Bush and Rumsfeld war criminals? Like, he... He really looked hurt when I saw him ask that question because when she was submitted two years as public defender, right. she was defending some of the Guantanamo. Yeah. So what was so funny about that to me is that when he, when he asked that question and she wrote in her brief or whatever that, you know, Bush and Rumsfeld were war criminals. And he's like, you know, that was just so out of character for you. And she had to apologize for it. And I'm thinking they got their answer. She's going to be OK with them. Because she had to apologize for telling the truth. Didn't she say though? She said, "I never those were never my." Or she just said, "I don't." Recall. I think she said, "I don't." I don't recall. recall well, she probably yeah. didn't. Right? She probably didn't. But the, the 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 funniest thing to me is that Guantanamo Guantanamo Bay is the absolute definition of what a war criminal would do. Right. Right. Like, come on now. Like, yes, right. they're both war criminals. Like, yeah. you know, the United States has this hubris because we can because we were. Because we created the storyline of we did, our, we, our we, idealism around the world. We're the world's only yeah. superpower. We were the world's only superpower for a long time. And it was this like, no, we, we don't do that. Yeah. We're not subjected to those rules of the Geneva Convention. and uh, That's not us. That's all of y'all. So when right. I call you a war criminal, that's true. But you have no right to do that to me because we run all this shit. Right, because I created the court. 
Absolutely <laughs> It's the same right. with NATO It's like right. well what is NATO Going to do What you mean NATO is America Like yeah, yeah. what yeah. So when I hear And we'll go back to it But when I hear When they say You know well um, they A reporter asked a question To Biden um, Do you think it was a mistake For you to say that We're not going to send Trump's Troops over to Russia To get you know Involved in a direct conflict And there were two things That struck me is that Okay America I know that the United States military and the government has a bloodlust for war, mm. but it made me realize so does the freaking media. Oh, like yeah, all yeah. those questions are yeah. about why are we going to war, basically. Yeah. But when he answered, and when she asked the question and he answered, like, no, we're not doing it, I'm like, we already are. We're NATO. Right, right. Like we sent troops over to, like, so what are we talking about? Right, right. So, not, it's not a nuanced position of, like, okay, America may not be doing it, but we already have. Partners, you know, structural war partners who are doing it. Right, right. And so, yeah, and so we're sending yeah. troops over there to right. buttress whatever we're trying to do in Ukraine, which is. That's a great word, yeah. buttress. I love that. You are, an educated, <laughs> so, you are an educated black man. Hey, man, look, I'm trying to follow your lead, man. Appreciate it. So, when we talk about a Supreme Court hearing and the tears and Cory Booker and all these other things that are surrounding it, mm. it's just all theater that we all get caught up in. And at the end of the day, to me, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter because I know the importance of it. Right. But I also understand <clears throat> that there are levels to how we treat educated black folk. Right. And so-called non-educated black folk. Right. And non-educated black folk are in this working poor class bucket that we generally don't pay attention to. Right. And the, the how I'll relate that back. It just relates back to the treatment that we see. Like I saw watch parties. And again, I think these things are all great right. that she is getting that type of support. I'm just saying that there is a um a a professional class in this country that I'm a part of as well. And I'm a part of. I'm I'm not Actively I, I am part not, of. yeah, I'm not uh taking myself out of that. That you hang out with a certain circle. Because that's what you aspire to do, whether you do it consciously or unconsciously. Like you get educated, you get a good job, and then you, you get a good you, house, and you, you get, operate within you operate within your um, your circle. Yeah. Or, Let's peel back on the, yeah. the performance part part of it, right? Because we know, and just pivoting back, and we look at the nominations and and everything. Yeah, um, yeah my bad, I skipped all the way around. No, it's cool. It's cool because I, I think you're talking about a bigger question, and as it was in my opening about America has this is. A stage play. Absolutely. Right? America being the stage play. And when you look at things like that, and you even the way we look at our history, like we don't we don't even want to talk about the real history. We want to talk about a manufactured version of the history. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter, right? Because right now the committee is 22, 22 um, people on the committee, 11 Democrats, 11 Republicans. Mm-hmm. Ben Sass says that he says what he made a quote says, um, judge Katanji Brown Jackson has an impeccable credentials, Mm -hmm. a deep knowledge of the law and is an extraordinary person and has an extraordinary American story. But he is unable, but I'm unable to, I'm sadly unable to vote for her confirmation. There's a lot in that statement. There's a lot in that statement, man. Like, like, what did you pull from that? Because it was like really like, wow. I, can't, I I can't do it because my base and my party won't let me. And if I do vote for, her, I'm cooked. That's what I got from it. 
I got that he and, saw that she was an extraordinary American, that she was one of the good black folk. She checks off all the boxes. All the boxes that if maybe this was 20 years ago, I could probably do it. But the w- climate we are in now. We're so, yeah. That no, nope, yeah. absolutely not. I, I cannot risk my political career to vote for this black woman. And because, and it's, it's weird because um, we're all, it's all tribalistic, right? Absolutely. And so we're... Looking at not your resume, which it should be, which which goes into the absurdity of the entire thing, right? Because we talk about if it's just if it's just resume and credentials, we shouldn't even need a hearing. Nope. We shouldn't even need all this performance of three days of getting questioned, of us getting to know you. Reason being mm-hmm. because we actually have the book on you. We literally have been given binders about your yeah about your political dictum, all of it, and everything. Like what you what you made at elementary school on your third grade spelling test, they got all of it. There's an FBI background check on you yeah. that has been thoroughly mm-hmm. checked out. Mm-hmm. Yep. We know everything we need to know about you. Yep. So all of this is really just for us. It's it not is. for you. It is. And the fact that I can't put you through is not is it's not you, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. You know what I'm saying? It's not That's you, it's me, it. right? Yeah. Um which is like it's 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 sad, but it also shows. I think it was the perfect evaluation of how bullshit the American system is. Well, I I, I agree with you. This is yes, this is absolutely all bullshit. But because she's still going to get confirmed, she is. We had watch parties about this. We've had think pieces about this, and it shows how. Much I think we just don't understand collectively how all of this shit works. Yeah, and I I want to make sure I couch that in. I'm not uh, dissing anybody that attended a watch party, uh, that put one on, that wrote a piece. I think all those things are important. Right. But what I mean when I say that is, eighty one percent of the cases that the Supreme Court ruled on. Um, in 20, from 2015 to 2017, I believe, were all pro-corporate cases. Right. So abortion, affirmative action, again, important cases. I'm not saying they aren't. And when I say important, I mean like watershed. Like we could potentially change the tra- trajectory. The, the, of, integer, the, the public, the yes. public uh, integrity, yeah. the public integrity of our system. Absolutely. Yeah. If you rule, so, you know, it, it seems like we're trending that way to where, you know, yeah. Roe v. Wade is yeah. going to be obliterated. Right. So, again, I'm, I'm not taking any importance away from that because you do want justices on the court who are going to stand firm in their belief in how the Constitution is supposed to be applied. Yeah. Now, granted, we view the Constitution and the De- Declaration of Independence Bill of Rights. We view all of those from our own political lenses because it's all subjective. Right. So if that weren't the case, then, you know, we wouldn't have certain cases. But the reason I mention that is because there's been such a shift in this country, I think, starting probably at the end of the Carter administration, uh, going all the way through to where we are now. Corporations run this bitch. Period. Corporations so, run this bitch. So, so I want. I want to. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to kill you. No, no. You're good. You're good. Um, which is what I said in the opening. Like what people don't realize is that in the 19, like 1979, 1980. I think it was 81. Really, 81, 81. Yep. Where the Federalist Society, mm-hmm. and Heritage Foundation, and scores of other conservative 
organizations really quote unquote became became active, right? Became live. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it went online, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But in the seventies they have been doing these think tanks. But how can we change the discourse of the American political landscape? Yeah. Because they did not like that in the sixties and the seventies, all these landmark cases shifted America's social landscape. Yeah. You know, race, gender, labor union, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? All these things, gay rights, all these things where well, gay rights hadn't actually been yeah. Yeah, but like I, I got where you But going. like it shifted everything. Yeah. And that terrified people. Mm-hmm. Terrified the white powerful elites. And so they created these organizations that instinctually was like, we're going to start doing the long play yeah. here. Because we can't do that. We can't, if it keeps trajectory, it, the, tra- the current trajectory is going to crumble on us. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So comes in these organizations and they pour money into these judicial races. And that became the central focus yeah. of their political ideology. Whereas Democrats were always about whatever Democrats were about. Like, you know what I mean? Like the social issues of the time, yeah. Republicans saw it's not about these big watershed social, it's about the courts. It's always been about the courts. And it's never, and it's always been about maintaining the structural integrity of our system mm-hmm. is not the legislature. Mm-hmm. It's the court system. Yeah. Because long after these people not, are not elected, long as people die out, it's the courts that will maintain, you know, the political. It's, it's going to maintain order. Maintain order. I think anytime you have, um, I think Democrats are more committed to order than they should be. In that that's facts. When you hear, like, whenever I hear folks talk about we we need to have some type of order in this country, we need to have law and order. To me, that's a that's a dog whistle to me, because while I understand that you know, th- there's this thought that if we we didn't have cops, then there'd be you know, um, we we wouldn't have a society or whatever. We wouldn't have any. Um, but when we talk about the idea of what order is, it's always been. We got to control black folk to me. That's what order. When I hear order, it's we cannot allow. Well, that's because it's the, the you know, cultural context of what law and order has right. been in the system. But I don't think that's a fair broad stroke evaluation of law and order, right? Because law, well, no, 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 no. law and order has is can be. I know what you mean. Yes. Yes. So, mean, but it's, it's law and order has long been the symptom of a structured society. Yes. Before. You know, the cultural context of Black Americans being um, ho- there's always been, and even if we um, take away the word law, I guess the definition that there's always been some type of uh, social structure in place to where there. Is, I just hate continue to use the word order, but there's always been a social structure in place to where people know how to behave. I guess. If right. you get outside of their structure, then there's a way to deal right. with it. Because right. the opposite of order is chaos. Yes, absolutely. So that's right. always or been anarchy. fear. Right. And so we need to be mm-hmm. in order to create order it order um defeats chaos. Yes. So the fear is that if we don't have that in place, then we are gonna have anarchy. We are gonna have chaos. And the idea of what that looks like now is the march of gerrymandering 
to your point, taking over the courts. But in in my view or the way I view it, the lens I view it through is white people created the structure, which means that wherever they want the battle to happen, that's where they're going to take it. Right. So to your point about the courts, they're like, all right, y'all can take over these legislatures all you want. Okay. We're going to fight this at the court level because y'all ain't up there. Right. And then if it's okay, we're going to let some of y'all. All right, cool. We're going to take it back to the legislative legislative level. We're going to take it. So there's always a bigger play in here. Always. Right. That, and we're always going to be behind on it. And because we're not, not, we're not, we don't control a damn thing. So like, we're always going to be one step behind. So like when I hear people say like, we're always being reactive, we're not being proactive. We don't have a choice. Well, I'm okay. I'm a, I'm actually going to peel, peel this back. Really? Go ahead. Um, this is not where I want to go with the podcast, but I really found this an interesting place. So we'll see if you can follow me. You mentioned that Democrats have a hard time, you know, destroying order. Yeah. And reality is that because they don't understand, they're they're afraid that if order is destroyed, mm-hmm. right, or order or, or is you know, and chaos ensues, mm-hmm. they don't understand their placement. In that particular system. Yeah, that's pretty good. Right? Yeah. And so, of course, where Republicans, they see, they're very it's conservative, they can see how order benefits them because they can operate within the box. Yeah. Whereas Democrats, it's hard for them to see what a system looks like outside of the box. Yeah. So when you have somebody who's like, hey, I don't think we should have this thing or I don't think we should expand the courts. You know, we just need to operate within the framework of the court system. And we need to, we need to elect more Democrats. Yep. That's always the line. Right. We need to elect yep. more Democrats to put them on the court. I don't think expansion of the court is the answer. When the reality is, well, why not? The court has expanded. The only time the court has stopped expanding is when conservative infrastructure has said, we're not supposed to expand this court anymore. They've had, they've had, you know, we've had our fun. We've actually shrank the Supreme Court. It should it should ha- be expanding as the more circuits there are. Yeah, we should have we should be having thirteen justices. We were at thirteen at one point, and then like we've put it so it's it's like that's always been a bullshit line to me because it's you do whatever the fuck you want to do to that. We do whatever the fuck we want to yeah. do, but Democrats don't want to challenge the system because it's like order. You know, if people if we start changing the rules, and it's always good, we start changing the rules, then it's like oh, okay, well. Now, what else is left on the table? Yeah, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah. so these things of, like, challenging the system, mm-hmm. where Democrats become even more, like, they become their own worst enemies. Yeah. Because they're like, all right, where Republicans understand the importance of order, mm-hmm. Democrats may, may or may not know how to, like, they don't know how to create, they don't know how to create a new system, and they don't want, they, but they also don't know how to operate within the system. I think to that point that in Connecting this to the confirmation hearings that we're talking about, I don't think that there's an interest in creating a new system because, right, they would know how to operate in it. But I think they're comfortable operating with what they have right now. To to me, because if you're not fighting for, you know, your ba- like Republicans fight for their base, man. And I get it that it's a party led by white men. I understand. So that's why they're going to fight hard for it. And that's why white people come out, you know, so uh, passionate about it. I get that. Right. But. If if the Democratic Party was truly about the people that support it, like, you know, they say, OK, black women are the backbone of this party. You know, OK, so you, you need to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. Yeah, you do. You absolutely should. But 
what the hell are we getting out of this? Well, okay. and, and I'm and I'm and I'm talking about like how is this going to improve the material conditions of black people? But that's an overall assessment of the system, not of her and not of her appointment. But we have not seen again, and I'll relate this back to again Jay Z and Beyonce. We're like we have a huge labor movement going on in this country. You got Starbucks, Amazon, that these stores, these individual stores, are being unionized. Jeff Bezos and Howard Schultz, the former the Starbucks CFC, yeah. is coming back. They got rid of the guy who's been there for 13 years because he was allowing these unions to, to pop up. Yeah. And so Howard Schultz, uh, to my understanding, when he was in college, he was the union busting guy. Yeah. Like he he does not want unions. So now they've brought him back to bust them. And these companies that are honestly, to me, killing Americans because of the type of labor that they are into. We have a system in place to where they are allowed to prosper. So I'm going to challenge you on something. Go ahead. I'm going to challenge you. The, the importance of Judge Brown, mm-hmm. in my opinion, yes. and we can, now this goes into you know, how we feel about her as a pick. Right. Why I liked her. Right. Um, and you may have a different opinion. Now, I, sure. I know she she checks off a lot of boxes. You know, she was, yeah. um, you know, law enforcement loves her and right. all that. But what I liked about some of her cases is that she was a pro union judge. Yeah. And it's important to have a labor judge on the bench. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem to your point is what is her appointment going to do to change the structural integrity of our system? Right. May not be much because it's a 6 3 majority. Right. You know? And, you know, it's a 6 3 majority with the. Uh, 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 with the court, so yeah. her opinion is always going to be dissenting. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's always going to be like this fire. It might be a fiery yeah. dissenting opinion, but is how it, does that change though? Is it going to always be dissenting? I don't know. I mean, I know yeah. what you mean though. Eighty-one percent time they they ruled yeah, in favor within of that context, right? Right, right. Yeah. but the importance of having somebody on the bench mm-hmm. who has the bona fides of understanding. At least looking through the lens or tries to look through the lens of the working class people is important. Yes, I a hundred percent agree with you. I one hundred percent agree that you do need someone who has the thought process, or at least has some type of idea or an inkling of the type of politics you need to support unions and folks who are going to be supported by unions. I a thousand percent agree with that. Okay. The problem that I have is not with her. It honest to God isn't. I think that she's a fantastic person, probably. I have no criticism really of right. her overall. My criticism is always going to be pointed at how we operate within the system that we've been given. So and what I mean by that is we had a Black Panther Party in this country at one point that was counterculture in in air quotes. So meaning they killed them, they put them in jail. They, they, yeah, yeah. They destroyed it, mm-hmm. and it was because they were a threat to law enforcement. I, I won't even say law enforcement. Oh they no, just a, a threat to the to American political yes, absolutely social landscape. Absolutely, yeah. That was in the seventies. Yeah. Where are we now? Fair point. What What do we have in this country now that is so counter to what? We have we have become accustomed to. Um, what do we have now? We don't have anything like that. You know, it's, it's interesting. This has nothing to do with it, but it kind of ties in. Yeah, music. 
So, it's the same. but no, I know. But here's yeah. the thing: like, we're ch- with ch- literally children of hip hop. Yeah. So hip hop started off as counterculture, mm-hmm. and then it, it, it became once America realized, and especially corporate America realized, like yeah. it's no longer counterculture music; mm-hmm. it's popular music. They became to monetize it, and then it became a controlled platform. We wanted to be let in. We wanted to be let in, right? Yeah. And so it became this thing where now, like before, our best, our biggest advocates for social change mm-hmm. was civil rights movement. Yeah. And then you know the Black Panther Party and all right. that. Right. That became our our megaphone mm-hmm. to you know talk about the issues of our community. Yeah. Born out of that. With those, that destruction became the children of hip hop in the nineteen late nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties. It started off again, obviously, you know, with talking about going on what's going on in inner city America, yeah. right? Yeah, and then it's born from that. Hip hop has always been the megaphone mm-hmm. for the thoughts and attitudes and the uh, beliefs of Black America, especially right. Black American youth. But then yeah. it assumed ultimately Black America. Yeah, and then you had. Different part, and what was beautiful about hip hop, especially in the nineties mm-hmm. and early two thousands, was that you had different subsectors of hip hop that talked about different parts of the black, yeah, the, pl- black, the black experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as it became this particular um, corporate, corporatized, you know, monet- monetized entity, mm-hmm. that you know, megaphone became stripped to where it only identified one particular voice and one particular side. Yep. To where, like, now, like, we don't even have a megaphone for other aspects of the black dis- uh, diaspora, you know, diaspora. Mm-hmm. We don't really have that anymore. We have a particular ideal of the black experience yeah. that has that. And it's weird now when you think about it, like, to your point, you're like, where, where, where are that, where are our, our countercultures? Yeah. Cause our countercultures was, was the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. then it was our music. Mm-hmm. Now we're looking to, is it the internet? Like, where, where are we going to go to where we can actually get counter messaging about what's going on in the world before corporate so, America starts, white corporate America starts saying, okay, we got to stamp down on that. Yeah. It, and, and we got to clip those wings. That's exactly, that's, ex, that's exactly where we are now because there are websites and podcasts that I listen to. On that, Culture Bias Podcast, you should subscribe. Absolutely. All platforms. Yeah. And you, you got ratings, right? <laughs> rated, rated five stars. Rated five, yeah, five star rating on Apple product. Yep. Um, we have voices that are out there that aren't given the type of platform that they should be given because it's it's obviously not fair across the board. It never has been, but right. to that point though, like I, I go back to what King told Belafonte when he said, "I'm really afraid that I'm leaving my I'm leading my people into a burning house." Right. Like he he recognized it at the end, like you know. And, and I'm sure that this this goes to anything that you know in his alone time he was probably thinking like what have I done, but that I, I I'm not saying that was his prevailing thought. I'm just no, saying but when he you have an opportunity like, to like sit and think. You think about the American institution, yeah, and it's like what what is this thing that I'm yeah that I'm trying for us to to, to align ourselves with, yeah. and I'm gonna go back to Katanji mm-hmm. Judge 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 Brown, yeah, you know because. And her story, mm-hmm. her story is fascinating to me. Yeah, you, 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 I don't know if you've done the read read up on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so again, okay. I, 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 but back to that point, if if we're talking about her in a singular, she's great. 
Right. She's great. I, I have. I'm really and truly. I don't want this to come across as if I'm just like, no, she's terrible. She shouldn't be on the court. That's not it at all. It's more so a criticism of the system and what we have in place that, honest to God, and we talked about this a little bit before you know, we got started, the Supreme Court in a lot is becoming an illegitimate institution and that we're putting her in a place to where she's not, in it, to me at least, she's not going to be allowed to be viewed as successful in certain circles. I think for black people, because of her politics or because of how we view her politics, She's always going to be good. That's a good point. We, how we how we view her. How politics. we view her we politics. Don't, we don't we really know what her politics. Don't are. know at all. Don't right. know. Th- we're judging it based off of what we see. Like, oh, she got a white husband. Like that's going to turn some people off. Or for me, I look at like her upbringing because I want to talk about her. Upbringing. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to counterplay it with mm-hmm. another black justice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like <laughs> a woman from a black woman from Miami mm-hmm. went to a public school. Um, decided one day to that she wanted to attend an Ivy League institution. Mm-hmm. First check off joining a the Ivy League institution, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I know we challenge that, but it's like right. it's, it's she uh, automatically she she idealized the idea that in order to move in society, and her father was is an attorney, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, her, her, you know, um, and so, but she ought, immediately at a young young age understood that. To progress in society, I have to move up yeah. through this structure, this this white institutional yeah. power structure. I have to get a, their their type of approval, right? Yeah. Like whether she articulated that or not, yeah. but she knew that was the path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go to Harvard. Mm-hmm. Made it to Harvard. Yep. Right. Soon found out the culture change at Harvard that it was not just that you were here, but now there's social structures within Harvard that she realized, and she mentioned it in her hearing that her husband was part of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but he's like, okay, you're here. But you're, are you a part of us? Yeah. Yep. Soon realized that, mm-hmm. and then decided. Now I have to be a, not only do I have to be, a, but I have to be f- to further indoctrinate myself into the white institute power infrastructure. Yeah. I have to get more deeply ensconced into that. Fine, perfectly. I'm not judging. Mm-hmm. Not there's no. I don't want you to think I'm lending a right. I have criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just understanding what it is. Right. Right. Excels mm-hmm. at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Then, and I'm doing broad strokes over her life, so I apologize. Of course, but, of course. You know, yeah. but, um, you know, obviously she joins a D.C. firm. First, as a, um, I think she joined a little boutique firm a little bit in D.C. Her husband was doing a residency in Maryland mm-hmm. um, for his sur- for surgery um, before he became head of surgery. Yeah. Uh, but um, her story has always been, she joined a D.C. social club. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. that was this. It was a. It's a social circle, a small circle. Harvard, Harvard elites in D.C. Um, who work in particular fields, and it's like it's invite only. Yeah. Right. Again, going into in order to position herself mm-hmm. into a better space in life, she felt like I have to be a part of these particular venues. Becomes gets appointed by Barack Obama, two thousand twelve, yeah. and to uh, D.C. Oh, DC court, right? Moves up this. It continues to move up the appeal. The the um, move up the structure. You know, of course, she's heavily ensconced within the Democratic Party. You know, becoming a poll watcher and all these other things. Like she's a very much got her Democrat bona fides checked off. So uh-huh. I don't want them to say that she's like a, yes. she's not a yep. she's not a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, 
right? Of course, we talked about her bona fides being a federal public defender and all this other stuff, right? Great bona fide. Right. Again, works for, you know, after she leaves that, goes into private practice. Again, another, yep. you know, private practice law firm. Yep. As she's moving up this particular ladder, mm-hmm. she's further, further going deeper and deeper into this world, mm-hmm. right, of, mm-hmm. you know, political, institutional white alignment. Yeah. To now where she's at the precipice of being at the very tip top of mm-hmm. the American political structured ideology. Yeah. And it's, much, it's a fascinating story to see that in order for somebody to grow into society, our ideal to grow is that we have to, we have no choice but to align it's with institutions it's crazy. that don't traditionally represent us. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You know, and yep. it's not, and it's nothing that's not a shot at her. Right. That's literally what it was. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not this, you know, she's obviously worked hard. Of course. She's, she's, she's the benefactor of her grit and determination and her vision of her life. Mm-hmm. That's point, point blank period. Yeah. But there's no, you know, diffusing of the fact that she saw that in order to really get to a place in life, this is the path she needs to be on. Am I, I being think, overly? It, no, you, no, no. I think you you hit it spot on, but I think that's the unfortunate part about it. In that, when we talk about there isn't a counter to that idea that we we recognize that in order for us to get to a place where we want to be, we got to assimilate. Right. That's all of us. You have to assimilate. Yeah. And that's not on. That's not in. I noticed. I never mentioned anything about her her marriage. No. Because that's not where I'm no, going with No, that. not at all. And yeah. I, look, man, I, to keep it funky with you, I've I, I seen how I've been married almost 15 years. I see how some of these Negroes move. I don't blame y'all. I'm just saying that. I don't, I, don't, I don't blame black women for looking. And that's not a criticism of all black men. But I'm just saying I, I, there's no judgment for me whatsoever about who you choose to marry. You choose who you want to marry based off of whatever. There's no judgment for me on that. But – that is a part of the conversation, and it was the same with Kamala. That oh, okay, Kamala, Kamala, Kim, what, what's my man? My man call her. Um, I can't remember what. Don't disrespect her, me. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Don't dis- no, 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 no. He, he does it in a in a joking way. But at any rate, um, there is some assimilation that we all have to go through in order to properly negotiate these structures. Mm-hmm. We've all done it. I've done it. You've done it. Folks listening to this podcast have done it, whether they realize it or not. You, I was going to mention something that Asada Shakur is not here for a reason. She in Cuba still. Okay. So Kwame Torre changed his name from Stokely Carmichael. You know what I'm saying? So like you get to a point to where you realize that, okay, I can either keep going straight or I can go left. And the minute you go left is the minute you're going to be ostracized. You have a whole bunch of people, a um, whole bunch of black people in the 50s, actually waving before then, that were bona fide communists. And communism is still a bad word. It shouldn't be, but it still is. We're going through a red scare right now, whether we realize it or not, that you have folks, be deemed a socialist. Socialist, yeah. 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 But you have some black people who do espouse some thoughts that align with the idea of communism, and they've been ostracized. I'll give you an example, man. 
I think a lot of people don't realize Angela Davis is a communist still to this day. Mm-hmm. Had been ostracized right now, but if you remember, it was a manhunt for that woman in the 70s. So what I'm saying is that you either take, and I'm not saying this is an easy path that she took. And again, I see what this you're is, saying. It's like, it's like you in America, you choose a path. Absolutely. And you have to choose the path. And then the path you choose mm-hmm. can determine your future. That's just period. That's Absolutely. Like, that's like, that's not... And, yeah, it, and it, mean, it's clear and identifiable that she chose a path. Yes. And it's and, gotten and to I, this there's, point. There's no criticism of the path that she took. No. That's the one that she chose that was best for but her. But then you wonder if that path, the path that she's aligned with, trying to... And this is called what it is. Yeah. It, it's an elite path. Absolutely. Has that... Has that... Uh, Counterweighted her like her experience, yeah, or and is it going to infect how she views? It has to society how can it and how she and in, in these cases, how can it to not? your point where you're saying that is she when she gets on the court is she really going to be yeah the fire starter or is she going to go along? She can't with be a fire starter. Eighty one percent. Yeah, she she look. I I agree with you that there are going to be some cases where she's probably strongly going to dissent. We've seen that with Kagan. We we we've seen it. So Meyer, I'm, Kagan, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm yeah. not saying that there's not going to be any type of pushback. That's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. But what I am viewing is that this lens that we have that since Roberts has become the chief justice of the Supreme Court, the court has ruled 70 percent in favor of the Chamber of Commerce, where he used to be their main attorney. Yeah. I'm not getting into the. um uh, the details of the case law. I'm not that smart to do so. But what I can view is how this has been shaped to where, again, corporations run this bitch. So if we are looking at it from that aspect, if you have an Amazon that my hometown is where kind of ground zero is for the fight for Amazon, Best my Alabama, that's where the fight to unionize that warehouse is going on. It happened last year, but Amazon won, but then the NR, NLRB came yeah. back and said, no, y'all niggas cheated, man. Right. Like, they had these fake uh, union yeah. drop boxes right. and all that. Right. You saw what they were doing. And, the, the, and, and okay, you can give this credit to Biden because the NLRB, how it operates now, is under his administration or whatever. And they came back and said, okay, like, that was just too goddamn unfair. Y'all need, like, this is going to, we're going to have to have a redo. Right. Okay, cool. Appreciate that. You still giving Jeff Bezos ten billion dollars to go to the moon? Okay, so let, let's let's. I understand that, and I get it, but let's for the sake of just the argument that her appointment mm-hmm. to the Supreme Court is great optics. It's fantastic optics. It, look, it's fantastic optics. I, I've seen you've seen that picture of the little girl who's sitting behind her, is yeah. just smiling and glowing. Uh, her mother, and, yeah, yeah. And you know, the thought is, um, or the idea that I've seen so many people like, oh, okay, she thinks that you know, like this is great because now so many other black girls can see, which is true. Okay, that that's that's fantastic. I think that's great. I, I again, I have no criticism of that. That's 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 dope. For me personally, this is just Jason. This I'm not yeah. espousing this to anybody else. Yeah. If my daughter came to me and said, I want to be president or I want to be a Supreme Court justice, mm-hmm. that's fantastic, baby. But can we talk a little bit more about what that means? And and I say that because I know what my politics are and I know what I'd like my children's politics to be. Right. But I want that to be born out of how are we protecting 
the most vulnerable and how are we protecting the folks that usually have America's foot on their necks? Can you do that in those positions? Can you can an, an institution that's designed as designed to keep status quo to kill you basically? Yeah. And designed to go along, get along to go along, really be a change agent for the people. If that's what you're looking to do. And so that is the fundamental question. Yeah. And then can I think we- that's a question and I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that's a fundamental question we all need to we all need to wrestle with that. Right. Because where we are now is that like this shit is falling apart, man. Like whether we whether we recognize it or not. And and the reason I mention that is because Biden came out yesterday and said, Hey man, it's about to be a food shortage. Yeah. Basically he was telling Americans, I put these sanctions on Russia, so that means that you gotta ride with me and you there's gonna be a little bit of suffering in support of the Ukrainian people, which is some bullshit. They're trying to bleed Russia dry. Right. And so you put these sanctions out. And he said it yesterday. Yeah. They asked him, like, sir, if if sanctions aren't a deterrence, then why are we doing it? He was like, I never said it was going to deter him. It never does. So that lets you know what, like, what are we doing? Right. So if you're about to put your people through a food shortage. Right. We got gas. Pro- Dog, I, I drive a little bitty car. It takes $45 to fill my little bitty car Oh, up. that's cute. $45? For, th- right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank cute. you. And I mentioned that to say I got the car because I knew it was going to be good on gas mileage. Right. It used to take me 20 bucks. So right. I'm saying that we're all about to go through a period. And I think that we 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 believe that probably started with the pandemic that okay we'll be out of this in a year or two because that's just how Americans believe that's how we right. think right. we don't have we don't have the fortitude to think about something in the long range yeah because how will this affect our absolutely our, our, our way of life absolutely we've always been catered to because we're the superpower right? right so now that we are really and truly we've experienced some unprecedented shit over the last two years that people are still dying by the thousands on a daily basis from COVID and we completely moved on we have completely moved on so now that we're about to go through we the, outside baby yeah, thank you That that's yeah. what I was like I'm, I'm ready to get back outside like yeah. mm-hmm. okay so with the food shortage it's not going to be you and I that are going to be severely impacted by it we're going to be impacted I, by it. I don't need, maybe on an incremental level, but it's not going to yeah. be like. Nope. It's yeah. not. It's it's not as if you know you're going to be like, well, damn. Like, yeah, I went to the store and they didn't have anything, but I could always drive down to so and so and get it, or drive down. I get an example, man. This lady who lives in a neighborhood in the area that I work in, she's like, I want to have a community cleanup at this grocery store where this grocery store is, where the property because it's a it's a little shopping center. And she's like, it's just trash all over the place. And I don't like seeing it. And somebody said, well, the Walmart is right down the street. Why don't you just go there? And she said, I don't have a car. So I got to walk to this store. So I want it to look good because that's where I shop. Dope. Let's let's go. Let's make it happen. We went out there and we helped them clean it up. There's some levels to that because now I got to talk to the property manager and all this. But my point being, those are the people that are going to be impacted by a food shortage. Yeah. That... When you see not, not Publix and Windermere, no, no, it's the Save a Lot in Washington Shores. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So when I see you know folks criticize uh, elected officials for doing food giveaways and things of that nature, now is when we need to be preparing for it. So when I talk about how is this improving the material conditions of Black people, again, that's not a criticism of her. It, honest to God, isn't. It's more so a criticism of the system because we're not and we have not put anything in place. To help anybody. You sent $10 billion and you can yell at me all you want. You know that ain't how it worked. That you still sent $10 billion to Ukraine 
and you got people down here that are starving and that are dying still from COVID. Congress. We got money for wars that can't feed the poor. Tupac said it 20, 30 years ago, right? Right. That's been a line that the Panthers were even saying in the 60s and 70s. So we're at this position now to where we are fighting and yelling over a Supreme Court nomination, which, again, we can do more than one thing at one time. We can ride a bike and chew gum at the same time. I'm not saying that we can't. But we're, we're, we are ostensibly fighting over a nomination. That's going to get passed anyway. Yep. When the reality is this very same Senate has been sitting on a voting rights bill that is that has – they're probably not going to pass, which go. actually fundamentally affects us a lot more yep. than the there symbolism of Kajani Brown being actually Kajani Brown Jackson uh, being um, being on the, the bench. If you told me that the voting rights bill and there was some other, let's just say some other legislation that was really and truly going to help black people and that it had a, a chance in hell of passing, that she was going to be on the front lines of protecting that. When she gets to the Supreme Court, I could ride with you all day on that. Mm-hmm. If there is this big labor bill, okay, go ahead. Okay, go so ahead. Get, now you get into my place, yep. right? Yep. All right, so that was the whole thing with you mentioned Cory Booker. Yep. Yep. I know. It, it, I actually didn't. Uh, I didn't mind. I know there were scores of people like, oh, they're rolling, they're rolling their eyes. I said, listen, I get it. It was a bit ha- campy, a bit hammy. That's who he is. But that's how that's who he is. Yeah. But honestly, I said in the structure and the framework of where that setting was, yeah. it works. Mm-hmm. Just like Lindsey Graham and just like Ted Cruz mm-hmm. were going on and on about it was pornography. It was he was on was the other side game. of it. Yeah, he was on the other side of it. Same and, thing. and I said yep. at least he offered a counterbalance mm-hmm. conversation mm-hmm. to that. Now it was a bit much mm-hmm. to some, mm-hmm. but it was. But what I it, understood. I understood. Yeah. The problem I have yeah. is not with the Cory Booker's of the world. Mm-hmm. The problem I have is the Democrats have failed to create a proper narrative on why we need a, why we, this bench pick is important. Meaning that even if it doesn't apply, say because it's a voting rights issue. Like talk about the like I was like this is it's is right there like LeBron James to like J.R. Smith. It's yeah, like is that that means yeah. it's, it's right there in your face, man. Create the narrative of like they're creating a narrative of like she's a pornography judge, mm-hmm. and it's you know I, and I haven't played any clips on this because I wanted but um but I think it's important to kind of go a little bit back into the idea of like. <sighs> About uh, uh, um, the narrative that's being created, right? So, bear with me. Uh, you referenced in my office a, a speech that you gave in January of 2020 uh, at the University of Michigan School of Law. Uh, and after our discussion, I pulled a copy of your speech and read the speech. As I read your speech at the University of Michigan Law School, however, uh, there was a portion that surprised me. Uh, And in particular in that speech, you referenced the work of, quote, acclaimed investigative journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones and her, and again, this is a quote from the speech, provocative thesis that America was born in, uh, that, that, that the, um, provocative thesis that the America that was born in 1776 was not the perfect union that it purported to be. I gave a speech about black women in the civil rights movement, um, most of the speech, if not all of the speech, was focused on African-American women, um, their contributions to the civil rights movement, 
unsung contributions in many cases, and then some of the more recent African-American women um, who have made claims, who have uh, done things in our society. Uh, one slide was of Ms. Uh, a journalist, as you say, who, who made that statement, and I called it provocative. Um, it is not something that I've studied. It doesn't come up in my work. I was mentioning it because it was, at least at that time, something that was talked about and, and well-known uh, to the students that I was speaking to at the law school. Pack the Supreme Court. You have praised the 1619 Project, which argues the U.S. is a fundamentally racist country, and you have made clear that you believe judges must consider critical race theory when deciding how to sentence criminal defendants. Is it your personal hidden agenda to incorporate critical race theory into our legal system? Do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist? Senator, I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than, that they are victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. So, you got to right. do something about them racist babies, though. No, here's the thing. And it, it, it is one more. Also, there's a, and I, I didn't pull this clip, but I wanted to highlight how it, there's another conversation surrounding uh, pornography. Mm-hmm. Pedophiles across the country must be rejoicing at the prospect of having Judge Jackson as a continued advocate for them sitting on the Supreme Court. Pedophiles. Well, I would say that the bottom line is this. Uh, you have done what 80% of the judges have done. You're in the mainstream of sentencing when it comes to child pornography cases. I also think it's ironic that the senator from Missouri, who unleashed this uh, discredited attack, refuses to acknowledge that his own choice for federal judge in the Eastern District of Missouri has done exactly what you did. You also have been criti- criticized as having been wrong to be a public defender or even to be in a law firm representing a Guantanamo detainee. It's interesting that Republican judges, very conservative ones, don't see this as a blemish on your character. Finally, you're also chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation hearings are set to begin. In the face of those hearings, uh, we are seeing escalating attacks from some Senate Republicans like Josh Hawley, who set out a Twitter uh, series of tweets suggesting that Judge Jackson is somehow soft on child porn. It's been debunked by several independent fact-checkers. But what does that tell you about the confirmation fight ahead? Well, I'm not sure what it signals, but as far as Senator Hawley is concerned, here's the bottom line. He's wrong. He's inaccurate and unfair in his analysis. Judge Jackson has been scrutinized more than any person I can think of. This is her fourth time before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And three previous times, uh, she came through with flying colors and bipartisan support, the last time as soon as just last year. And now uh, Senator Hawley is making these charges that came out of nowhere. 
The independent fact-checkers like the Washington Post and CNN have discredited his claims already. They should have. There's no truth to what he says. And he's part of a fringe uh, within the Republican Party. This was the man who was fist-bumping the murderous mob that descended on the Capitol on January 6th of last year. Uh, he doesn't have the credibility he thinks he does. So here's the problem I have. You see what's happening. But to, <laughs> the, the, the Republicans, they have characterized her, and we talked about this, as this pornographic child pornography sympathist yep. who's trying to institute critical race theory onto the court. Mm-hmm. That's the, na- that's the narrative. It's already me. It's already imbe- embedded in how yep. it's baked in the cake. Yep. Right. Yep. Fine. Mm-hmm. Cool. It's disgusting, but whatever. <laughs> My problem is where's the Democrats narrative? There isn't one. That's the whole point I'm going at. Yeah. You know, like there is, where is the Democrats narrative? Like you didn't have the foresight to think to yourself, we need to craft a narrative, not just on her recommend, not on her reputation, but we need to craft a narrative because they're going to come with some bullshit. So we need to create the story Mm -hmm. of why this woman should be on the court and what this story could be, even if it's bullshit, how she's going to be the tip of the sword for voting rights. She's going to be the tip of the sword for equality in this country. I think that there's such a fear of scaring off white people from Democrats that they just didn't want to. Because think about it. This voting rights law has been... Stale for like the last three years. Since they got in office. Yeah. And it's not going anywhere. So they're going to lose the House and the Senate this fall. Yeah. And then it really isn't going anywhere. Right. Because it, it's like uh, you listen to Griselda. Yeah. I always hear like Griselda. You put on Griselda, you scaring the hoes. You put on Griselda. Right. It's like for Democrats. Oh, okay, y'all gonna talk about race? You scaring the white people. Mm-hmm. You 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 put this black woman out, and you don't give her any protection, so to speak. So Cory Booker was the you know man with the gun, you know supposedly protecting her or whatever. The lone the lone the lone fighter on the he hill. He was the lone ranger. Right. So you don't give her the protection that she needs or whatever. You don't put up a bill that, you know, for what is worth, it would protect voting rights for black people in the country. You don't pass it, I should say. So to that point about there was no narrative, there wasn't strong messaging. The only thing I got from it was that we need to protect black women. That was all I saw. And you should. But what else are we going to give your base to fight with? So that's why I go back to this is all political theater because when my man said, I'm sure pedophiles across the country are rejoicing that you And that was Donald Trump Jr. He's speaking to a he's speaking yeah. to his base and he created the, the created forum that was given by Republicans, the, the playbook, that now oh. is gonna be trickling down. And I hated that Dick Durbin said this. Like, I don't understand what's happening and I don't know like, you know, this is from the the fringe, the fringe part of his party that he doesn't have. I'm like, you sound. Are you dumb, uh, man? Like, are I, you dumb right I, now? I, like, they, they always come across to me like, well, we're the adults in the room. Are you number one? Do you realize what's the, happening? That's my that number two. Like, who gives a shit whether you are the adult in the room or not? Like, you sometimes you gotta get in the mud, right? And I know a lot of us we don't want to roll around the mud. I, I understand that, but you gotta give us more than just protect black women and. That she deserves protection because of her identity. We're not 
And even the idea of identity, like we've so warped the definition of what identity politics, and it's the same with intersectionality, that we've allowed these terms to be co-opted by folks who don't understand what they are. So when you have some, so how many pedophiles you think were sitting around watching like, yes, right. we got our, we got our girl. We like, got a girl on the bench. Right. They don't like, come on, man. Like we, we're not, are we that stupid? That wasn't the, that wasn't the, the whole, the whole point wasn't. No, at all. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of when Republicans created the 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 narrative defund police, mm-hmm. and I always used to say it wasn't Democrats weren't calling for defund the police. It was a small sector. It was of, activists. It was, it was all small activists. sector of activists from a particular part of the country. It was all activists that said it. Nothing to do with in politics. Portland, Oregon. Yep. That said defund the police, yep. and then it it picked up on the you know through the reddits of like you know, but it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a narrative, but then when you you gave it credence, when you started having political establishment Democrats talking about how we don't want to defund the police because Republicans, you lost it. You, I was like, you already lost the, you, you lost, you, it, lost yeah. you lost the farm already. Yep. Because now you took their talking point and you're sitting there defending something that wasn't even a friggin' thing. Sometimes I think they look at it like this is just like shooting fish in a barrel, man. It, like, the watch. Republicans look at it like y'all are so stupid. Yeah, like I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna throw this jump. out and y'all gonna yep. jump like catnip, and right? They did. And, and they then, did. so it's like the because pro- the, pro- hold on, the problem is is that the Confederates mm-hmm. and the <laughs> you know and the white power structure and the fascists and all these other things, they understand that we're at war. Mm-hmm. It's White liberal media and the white liberals and black liberals who don't understand we're at war. They think we're still in a debate. Uh, yeah, man. This moved way beyond a debate a long time ago. But also, I, I still think that the viewpoint on this is we don't want to piss white people off. And I think that is the Democrats' main issue. Mm-hmm. And just because I've seen how we can move from topic to topic, like, okay, at first, it, okay, let's say it was protect black women. Then it was listen to black women. Then it was we got to pro- elect black women. Elect black women. Then it was we got to protect trans kids. Like, remember Don Cheadle went on SNL with protect trans kids, yeah. the T-shirt on. and yeah. Like, we go from these messaging points that Republicans have been able to take advantage of because, number one, we're not married to any of that. We're it's not. not. It's not real to us. It's, it's not. Just it's, a it's, these are slogans. Absolutely. We're married to. It's like we put them out to see. Is that going to work with certain parts of the base? We're married to symbolism, but not to the ideals of what the messaging really means. Yeah. Am I going to? So when you hop from that to that, it's like Republicans are like, okay, cool. Y'all want to protect trans kids? All right, dope. You know what? They got a bathroom bill out where they want your kids to be molested. Right. I remember I was having a conversation with my godfather about it. He was like, well, I think we do need to con- be concerned about it because men could potentially, you know, use that as a way to go after little kids. And I was like, um, I love you to death, man. I really do. But there is nothing, nothing through statistics, studies, or whatever that has ever borne that out. Right. If a man is a pedophile and what he's going to go and get the child, regardless right. of how that person dresses, so that's what I'm saying. And regardless of their, whether they're being a restroom, absolutely, or not. absolutely. Right. So I'm like, that's not where it's going to happen. Number one, but number two, 
that's how they're able to pick you off is that they they go with these surface level things. So they play on your fears, whether you believe it or not. So like the homosexuals, we have a fear of homosexuals in this country, whether we want to uh, uh, agree with that or not. We do because we don't want it to rub off on us. We don't. And because we've always been told this is a sin and that is wrong. And so these people need to be ostracized. So that, that that fear is still in the back of our minds. It's the same with black folk. Yeah. It's the same with black folk. Whether we want to believe it or not, some white people still have an irrational fear of black people in general, not just black men, black people in general. So Democrats, the power structure at the top, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. Nancy Pelosi was at J.F. Kennedy's inauguration, if I'm not mistaken. That's how long she's been around. Right. And that you mean to tell me she comes through all of that, has been able to survive for how long in this system and that she's the one that's going to be at the forefront of changing the power structure. She is the power structure. Right. So she's not going to do anything to piss white people off. She has her own vineyard. Remember when she yeah. did the interview on Corbin or whatever the show was, and she was talking about all the ice cream, all this expensive-ass ice cream she had in her freezer or whatever, and she was taking a tour of the house, and it was like, we have such a, like, we're, we're, we're married just to the wrong things. And I even go back to Hakeem Jeffries and how I think he called her Mama Pelosi at one point because she's been able, like, he's probably going to be the next Speaker of the House whenever right. Democrats take it over again. But that's part of the problem. You don't have any, and, and this this is locally, this is statewide. I know that we do have some some great groups that are that are doing the challenging, but they're not being supported as they should. Well, they don't, they're, they're not, they don't believe in def- in. in Turning the system over, they believe in operating within the system. But, but see, because but, they think the system is important. But see, even going back to that, you do have organizations that do believe in defunding the police. And when I say defund, I mean they're not talking about taking every single cent away from the police. Because when you look at it over the last, I'd say, forty-five years, the way that policing is done in this country, it's been militarized. Mm-hmm. So before you had B cops, you had the guy that was walking around twirling his baton and all of that. So now they have SWAT equipment and military tanks that are rolling down your street. Like policing has just changed. So the idea is that why are we giving so much money to the police when you have a housing crisis, when you got people that are starving, when we need more services for kids, like you're, you're taking away money from public education. So like that's where the defund argument came from. So when you have organizations that are talking about that, of course they're going to be ostracized. You think a politician today is going to come out and they want to keep their career. Is going to come out and say, "I'm not in favor of the police." No, but That's suicide. But let me. Okay, but go me, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let me ask you: Is there there is no platform to actually get that messaging out? Now, you, you, not in the mainstream. No. Yeah. Right. And so no. there, there, therein lies the problem. All right. Let me shift the conversation. Um, I'm going to talk about two justices on the court right now. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Clarence Thomas. That guy. You know, the news of him actually being sick and everything. Okay? And I saw this all thing. oh, you know, he was sick. And, you know, I was like, well, I said to myself, well, he's not going to die. You know. He's, I, I thought he was dead. He's not. He's not. They were going to give him the Trump cocktails. That's what I call him now. <laughs> like, whatever he had, they were going to ensure that this man, even if they had to do a, a weekend at Bernie's, he was, <laughs> he was not going to die. like they were going to make sure that this man was going to survive whatever the ailment he was given he was given the best of the best of the best they kept you know ginsburg alive to the very very last minute 
to the point where she believed that she can last through another another term. That's another racist, but that's another conversation. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they it was they like, will keep you. They yep. will keep you. Yep, absolutely. As long as you can, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. you are integral in that system. Yep. You are a pillar within the pillar. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and they would not force you out. No. So then when you see these dumb statements like, oh, he's going to get his retirement. I'm like, do (laughs) do y'all even know? First of all, do y'all know the system you're in? And two, do you know anything about Clarence Thomas? Listen, man. Like, there was a great expose about Jenny Thomas, his his wife. Did you read that in New York Times? She's been a problem. She's been a problem for. Gosh, for a long time. For a while. Yeah. But her power really has now caramelized in the, you know, or crystallized is a better word. Yeah. You know, um, think about food. You know, but crystallized <laughs> in the uh, um, in the, the political, yeah. yeah, in the political yeah. structure, yeah. the Trump White House, and everything like that. Check it out; it's on the New York Times yeah. article. But like, when you realize who they, they need, it was a great story, and I love when the New York Times actually dedicates not on some bullshit op-ed, but they actually send reporters to do like a full-out yeah. investigative yep. report, full throat, full throat, and it kind of gave it like a psychological profile of Clarence Thomas. Mm-hmm. And this is a man I've no, not known, but I've, you know, we, we've all, yeah. for the better part of the last 30 years, mm-hmm. he's been the a, a controlling narrative. What of, station was the movie about him? Was it Lifetime? Showtime. I think. Showtime. I thought that was pretty good. But go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, when you find out what he is and who he represents, what, the type of mentality he has, mm-hmm. and you see what Jenny Thomas is. He's not the type of person to be like, oh, you guys got me. I'm going to shrink from this. I'm going to shrink from this. I'm going to retire. Not at all. He's actually the person who goes, who digs his heels in. Mm-hmm. And be like, oh, y'all want me gone? I'm f- I'm further staying in here. Like, he loves the, he loves the attention. Mm-hmm. And he loves the adoration to the point where it, 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 it emboldens him. Like, that is his thing. Like, right now, this narrative of, like, he's got... You know, he, he's got to come off the court because, and if you don't realize, the idea that his wife was te- did 26 text messages to um, Meadows to, Meadows to yeah. order to, during the, during January, on January 6th, to overturn the election. To overturn the election. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Let me tell you, man. If that was a Democrat on the bench, Republicans would not have stopped until... Like if that was um, if that was Sotomayor, Sotomayor's husband that was texting, yeah, they wouldn't have stopped until they pulled her off the bench. They would have they would have made her life a living hell, a living a living hell. hell. Let me tell you, like, at what point does it ma- does it matter mm-hmm. that you know? And I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I had to stop right, you know. Coordination between the chief of staff and the highest Article Two cabinet position, yep. the president, yep. is seeking the legality to retain power within our structure that the spouse of the highest Article Three appointment might rule on it, and the transition of that power does that not become a crisis in the political theater of our country? When people kept saying that we were in a constitutional crisis even before that happened, it's right. like all of this stuff is being borne out now. But, like, how in the world do you think that that's a legitimate? That's why That's why I hear so many people when they say, okay, well, you know the Supreme Court is Ill- illegitimate. You think Clarence Thomas, 
wouldn't have ruled in favor of what his wife wanted. Facts. She he ruled eight one to protect her when they were trying to say we the report. Everybody in the court was like, "Yeah, you, you got to release." Her. He's not. He's not a king. He needs to. The records the, need to be released. Clarence Thomas was like, "No, no, no. We don't need to do that." Yeah. Like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So like, you got a black person. That is supposed to be, you know, the thought the thought process is that, you know, you get black, black people up there so they can help more black people and protect them, right? Mm-hmm. And Clarence Thomas obviously has been the antithesis of that. He is the one that is so married to the structure because the white power structure has put him to where he is. And he's like, I'm not going outside of that. He doesn't view it that way. No, and that's what's fascinating. Yeah. He actually views himself as a champion for black folk. Absolutely. And then weirdly enough, mm-hmm. he actually... It's he, he bemoans the fact like I don't understand. Yeah, because in his why, eyes, he's viewing you should attain to be me. Right. He doesn't understand why black folk don't fuck with him. Yeah. He like he literally doesn't understand it. Yep. He's confused. And he gets by, angry. He gets angry. Yes. By the fear, the mere fact like I'm not a champion mm-hmm. of of black folk, mm-hmm. and this is only because his former clerks who are now judges yep. or you know law professors yep. or they're part of now the institution. They say that he he talks about how he actually thinks he's a champion for he black does. causes. He does. You know? Yeah. Which actually goes to a larger conversation mm-hmm. about how, because if you know anything about Clarence Thomas, and again, this article did a great job, person who um, started the Black Student Union at his college, mm-hmm. it segregated him along a few other students, segregated the college, mm-hmm. um, desegregated the college, rather, started the Black Student Union, actually you know, marched for some cause. I think one was the Vietnam War. Yeah. Became a little bit too spicy for him. Yeah. Um, and changed the way he saw American politics or whatever. But you know, father, his grandfather didn't. Father was not in his life, mm-hmm. which is, I think is important. Grandfather was in his life, but his grandfather was a was a hard ass. Grew up poor outside of Savannah. Mm-hmm. Um, grandfather was a sharecropper, former sharecropper has decided when he was in college that the best way to elevate his life, he, number one, it was, you know, he got to college, first one in the family. First, best way to get to elevate his life was to work hard yeah. and, you know, pour myself not only into my studies, but into the rising within this world, the, the white power institution. Yeah. Saw himself being appointed, kept being appointed, and, um, and you know, obviously Reagan appointed him to EOC. Right. You know, which was a disaster. Which was a disaster, yep. right? But he sees himself as this idea, like from the generation, and we know black folks like this. I'm going somewhere with this, absolutely. That the '60s, you know, I'm, ch- I'm a child of the '60s and '70s, or even the '50s, and I see that hard work is the is the main is the is the main arbiter of my success. Yes. And when black folk complain. Is because they're not working hard enough. Yeah, which is bullshit. Right, but it's hard work yeah. that opens the door yeah. to your advancement in society, right? And so he's part of that dictum. Yes, absolutely. And so he believes when he looks at affirmative action, mm-hmm. he says it actually hurts black folk. Yeah, because he says I don't understand. We shouldn't. We, we shouldn't want a, a society of selectors mm-hmm. to create. You know who pick and choose. Yeah. Who gets who gets to move who up? Who gets to move up? Doesn't. And it, it doesn't look at your hard work and yeah. who you are as a person. Which, which, yes, we have a 
hood of that's older bullshit. black people. Absolute bullshit. But I'm gonna, and I'm going to kill yeah. that, but, but bullshit. But go keep going. Yeah. yeah. But no, we have a, a generation of black people who believe that. Right. Because that's, that's how they were raised. Like you said, child of the 60s, you see... I don't understand, though, how you can come from that lineage and see your grandfather or folks in your family work their fingers down to the bone and not get anywhere with it. Because be- they you know why? Because they bought and sold the idea that education and hard work were the key with the keys to advancing. And guess what? I understand it because yeah. I'm a product. Yeah. Of going to law school mm-hmm. and creating my own business and a lot of practice, and my my family has, has a good life. But yeah. also, my family, I was I didn't grow up poor. I mean, I, I, I grew I up middle class. I, I really wish we could kill the uh, education is the great equalizer because it's not. It, it never has been. It's not. It never has been, man. You know, it's it's not. And in fact, it in a lot of times, it, education within the black community is the is actually the main source of poverty. Yes. You know, in our community. Yes. Because we've been taught taught this American ideal mm-hmm. that if you go to college, mm-hmm. get a job, yep. that is going to be the key pathway to American prosperity. And there's so many black families where there's one. Like, I, I go back to Stacey Abrams when she was running for governor the first time, and she they were going into her finances, and they're like, well, she's had a bankruptcy and blah, blah, blah. Right. And she was just kind of coming out of that where she was making some real money right. to pay off some of her debts, but she was also the one. Right. She's the she's the rich one, right. or she's the one in the family that has the money. So everybody's going to her for their needs, not their wants. Their needs. Their needs. It could be, hey, I'm, I'm a little short on rent this month. I need my light bill And paid. I know what that's like. Literally, I know what that's yes. like. Look, I know what it's like on both sides. Yeah. So when you have the one, like that, that's the part where I'm like, this is how the black professional class dies early. What I mean by that is that you've been told your entire life, and we'll use education as the example. You go to law school or you go to med school or whatever. You do better for yourself, and then you move up, and then you continue to lift as you climb, right? Right. Pull yourself up by your boots. Pull yourself up by, but you get to a point where, let's just say, you know, you're a successful doctor, right? Successful doctor, and you're making six hundred grand a year or whatever. Right. You're the one in the family. Everybody's picking off that tree. Every single person. So my little cousin, like, I'm a little short on my tuition. Call Uncle So and So. Right. All right. Cool. I'm a little short on my rent. Call Uncle So and So. Need help on this light bill. All of it. Right. That is addition. That's added stress and tension on right. top of you the one. You yeah. the one that we always brag about and talk about. Like, they doing so good. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. They got a new car. Mm-hmm. They got this brand new condo downtown. Right. But also, they're looking at it like, this is too much. It's too much. I got this huge financial burden on my back to help my family. And then, don't, don't tell them no. Right. Don't say no because then it's like, well, you're the only one that like we can go to. Like so-and-so work here or blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden it's like you get to your 50s and 60s and you heard so-and-so drop dead from a heart attack? Like you heard so-and-so got this. So-and-so got this health problem. Right. Like it's compounded. Whereas before it was we were working ourselves to death. Right. And now it's you're still working yourself to death. But now you're the one. Like right. you, you're the one. So if we go back to the Supreme Court nomination – she could be the one. Right. She could be the one in her family where everybody's like, we got a Supreme Court justice in our family. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. Hey, about to turn my gas off. You help me out? 
You gonna say no? Right. We know you got it. Right. Like, cause I done heard that in my family. I know you got it. Right. It's my money though. But what is that supposed to do? So when well, we, black, it's, it's known that black people are are known more than any other race to often be the supplier of financial and emotional. Because sometimes we don't have a choice. Yeah, for our own community. Like sometimes we just you, don't have a choice. And that's why I'm saying when you hire black people, you're not mm-hmm. just hiring a black person. You're literally mm-hmm. hiring. A, a family or a community absolutely because we are literally that we tend to be the pillars absolutely of, like even on political campaigns bro i hate political season yeah i literally dodged my phone during political season yeah. because i made a joke with one of my our colleagues a few weeks a few months a year ago year yeah. ago sorry i was like bro like i feel like every time like i'm on a short list of like candidates they call me <laughs> and they, it's like they think i have this un this reservoir of $250, $500 donations. Yeah. And I don't understand, like, I'm like, do y'all know that, like, I it only goes so far. It does, man. I don't no, have. No, but that's, that's, that's real, though. I don't but, have the structure to give yeah. 15 candidates $500 every quarter. Dog, it's, but th- that's one, it's layers to all of it. Right. That <clears throat> once black people start to move up, then there's this expectation that black people are also supposed to continue to, I don't even call it give back, but you have to continue to build out that support system. Right. So if you're not getting any type of uh, financial support anywhere, it's just me. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, right. and you're the one, then it's well, damn. So even going back to Clarence Thomas and black folk who uh, are of that ilk mm-hmm. to believe that just you work hard enough right. that everything going to be all right. The statistics and the data don't bore that out, that right. we're not going to be all right. It's the same with COVID. Right. We had to work through COVID. Right. Who who's picking up your trash right. while COVID was still going on? Right. Who was still serving you at McDonald's right. when you needed something to eat? Right. So I mean, it's always like it, it, there's just a structure that we are not meant to prosper on it. So when Clarence Thomas, you know, gets up there or um KBJ gets up there, it's a rose that grew from the concrete almost. One is shout cricket. Out to, shout out to Tupac. Shout out to Tupac. One is cricket. One is straight. We view how we view those roses. I'm not telling you which one is cricket and which one is straight. Is how we view their politics. Yeah. Because identity is tied to that. Yes. Right. But it's your identity. You don't want your identity to be tied to Clarence Thomas. Right. You want it to be tied to the black woman that's pro union. Right. Or that has made something out of herself without cooning or without selling out. Right. That's how we want to view it. Right. So when it gets back to an argument about this black man who sits on the Supreme Court is married to a racist white woman who wanted the election overturned, and that's who we're supposed to be supporting. And to the point where, you know, and again, this expose did an interesting part. Like he married mm-hmm. into this family mm-hmm. that one of the aunts of the, his wife said, you know, you he's so nice to her that you forget that he's black. Isn't that crazy? You know what I mean? Like, Isn't that crazy, man? Like, he, and he, and and, and, and so there's no daylight between them. No, There's no all. daylight. So, like, he openly goes into this placement of trying to appease and trying to appeal to an establishment that doesn't even view him as uh, human. Yep. Yep. You know, and so then now he's being, it's, and it's, the article's fascinating because it showed, and you mentioned Roberts, where they they want to call it the Thomas Court. Even Mitch McConnell said call it the Thomas Court now. Because mm-hmm. 
think about it. He's a long and serving person yeah. on the court now. Yep. And now he's given responsibilities, you know, as a long and serving because of, of the tradition of the court, the hierarchy, the, the, the yep. hierarchy of the court, the longest serving court. Now he's the elder statesman of the court. So they yep. give him. So now he's controlling the court to the point where they're saying that, you know, Chief Judge Roberts mm-hmm. is trying to figure out how to rein this in a little bit mm-hmm. because the we talk about institutions, not toppling institutions. Clarence Thomas now is like the this elder statesman of the court. So he gets to kind of set yeah. like procedure. Mm-hmm. He gets to figure out who gets to write the opinion. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that shit till I like, you know, but like now he he decides not the chief judge. Which is crazy. He gets to set the yeah. elder statesman of the court gets to set who writes the opinion yeah. on the court. Yeah. Insane. Insane. This is a man for the first ten years on the court, never offered an opinion, said two words on the record. Didn't even ask a question up until what three terms ago, maybe? Right. Now he's now the, he's the one that's now, setting the docket. Now he's the one setting the docket. <laughs> yeah, man. And the other thing that I, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly mention, like there's a shadow docket that the Supreme Court will rule on, which is insane to me that there are important cases that they call a freaking shadow docket. Right. That will come across their desk and you're like, I'll, like I'll get an alert that'll say like, oh, the Supreme Court ruled on it. I'm like, I, I didn't think that they were releasing opinions. Oh, it's from the shadow docket. What? Right. Right. Like that's that's the craziness right. of this system that we believe, and and I'll, I'll make this last point that we believe is legitimate. That right. if this was how it was set up in other countries, they would tell oh, that's that's authoritarian, man. Oh no, they would call it a banana republic. Yes, yes, but we have been conditioned to believe that this is okay. Right. And so, like, when you get to a point where you're like, all right, maybe this isn't how it's supposed to be. Well, what else are we supposed to do? Are you going to vote for a Democrat or not? Like, right. not, not, no, I'm, I'm, no, I, I didn't go there. But I want to. We have, like, you're right. It's like, like, I'm not saying don't dep- vote, but like, are we supposed to be go- going like, on to get along? This is not how this shit is supposed. This to is be. a sick system. Yeah. The system doesn't. It's, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like, it doesn't make at any all. sense. And you look at something like, let's say, like someone like Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Like the, again, this goes again ties into because a, a, a lot, a lot of. Kajani's problem is that, um, well, she ain't a white man. That's number one. That's it. Yeah. But she's carrying water for the sins of a white man, which Absolutely. is the black woman's been the black woman's prerogative yes. for the yeah. the, the inception of the country. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. pissed off about how Kavanaugh was treated, mm-hmm. and so they're taking it out on her. Yeah. And it's like, how dare you treat a white man this way? How dare you treat how a white man like a good white man? Yeah. Like that, right? Yeah. When you, yeah. but I started doing it, and it's so it's interesting. So, right now in the left wing circles, there's this idea about Kavanaugh and like where did the money come from? You know, and it's like, like you know, he paid had, off his credit card debt, paid 90, off his two hundred thousand uh, dollar credit card debt, yep. ninety two thousand dollar. So, um, um, country club debt. Yep. You know, a one point two million dollar. Um, where the money come from? Where the money come from? So mm-hmm. this whole thing, like, oh, this thing about yep. the Heritage Foundation yep. and all the, and then it's true. Um, the Heritage Foundation, and I'm gonna play a two minute clip because I'm gonna actually debunk all this. This goes into a bigger co- conversation here, but just uh, where is it? Yeah, the, it talks about the Heritage Foundation and the ideal of Kavanaugh's money. So bear with There me. is a difference, I believe, between a dark money interest rooting for someone and right-wing dark money interests having a role in actually picking the last three Supreme Court justices. Now, how do we know that they had a role in doing that? Well, we know because everybody involved said so. It was pretty 
straightforward stuff. President Trump said we're going to have great judges, conservative, all picked by the Federalist Society. That's pretty plain. Uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, the former chairman, was asked, some of, was said, some have accused President Trump of outsourcing his judicial selection process to the Federalist Society. I say, damn right. The co-founder of the Federalist Society said that uh, the administration is relying on the Federalist Society to come up with qualified nominees. And then Don McGahn, who ran the operation for Trump in the White House, said, I've been a member of the Federalist Society since law school, still am, so frankly it seems like that role has been insourced. So there's pretty clear and pretty broad agreement that that selection process took place out of the public eye, and it appears to have been informed heavily by dark money interests. That's pretty big talk, but it's backed up by pretty big dollars. If you go back to before this enterprise got underway, the uh, money that came into the Federalist Society from what's called Donors Trust, which has been described as the dark money ATM of the right, a Koch Brothers affiliated operation, Back, say, in 2002, it got $5,000. No big deal. By 2019, when this operation was in full swing, it got $7 million. We don't know who the real donor was because that's the job of donors' trust, is to de-identify the donor, to launder the identity off the donation so you can't connect the dots any longer. But $7 million, I think, is quite a lot of money. And unfortunately, the Federalist Society was not alone. Right down the hallway is something called the Judicial Crisis Network. Its offices on the same hallway as the Federalist Society in the downtown Washington building, although JCN's website and text filings list a mailing address at a different location, an address shared by multiple companies. And right down that hallway at that Judicial Crisis Network, there's even more money pouring. And here is how much poured into the last three nominations via the Judicial Crisis Network. $21 million related in time to the Gorsuch nomination, $17 million to the Kavanaugh nomination, $14 million to the Barrett nomination. So, and it goes on and on and on, and he goes in through this whole thing, and that's uh, Senator Whitehouse of, um, you know, talking about the money goes from the campaigns. The point I'm trying to make is that Democrats have now taken on this thing or left wing, like, oh, we need to follow the money. Why, why he was actually, like, who paid off all these debts. Yeah. Why well, I thought there's a, that's a faulty, ridiculous, you know, go, uh, uh, goose hunt, right? Yeah. Because it's not the money that was put in these campaigns. Mm-hmm. What it goes into the bigger question, and it really irritated me that he t- decided to take time to talk about all this money, and he talks about this $400 million of these things that are being poured in, and these, got, these nefarious organizations are paying off all these debts. Yeah. That's, not the, that's not the bigger question. The bigger question is because the chances are that these organizations are paying off his debts is not what it is. Mm. Kavanaugh, what we may not know, is that his father is a multimillionaire. <laughs> Kavanaugh... Which you may not know, his father received a two thousand in two thousand five a thirteen million dollar payout from his job because he was a, his father was a lobbyist for a cosmetic company. 
a pay a retirement payout of thirteen million dollars. Mm-hmm. Kavanaugh is a child of privilege. His father went to Yale. His grandfather went to Yale. His father went to Ivy League school. I forget what, what, yeah. He went to Yale. He's part of. He's always been. He went to prep school. He's part of the system. He's part of the system. Yeah. He's been part of the system for his entire life. Entire life. Yeah. For, for the point where Dick Durbin in two thousand called him, you know, the Forrest Gump of appointees because he's been, he was actually went up four times yeah. and they knocked him down because like he had no legal experience yeah. and they called him an idiot. Yeah. You know, like he's not a smart man. He's mm-hmm. a, he's a child born of his pri- of privilege and connections. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to be smart. He didn't have to be smart. Yeah. He just had to. And then they, if anything, Kavanaugh is guilty of is Kavanaugh is guilty of the entirety of his professional career has been navigated in trying to reach a particular part of, of being a judge. Yeah. You know, and th- th- when they did the story about him is that he could have worked at a white shoe, I mean, white uh, white collar law firm, silk stocking law firm, and made millions of dollars. Yeah. But his idea was that he always wanted to be a judge because his mother was a judge. Yeah. So he knew, like, and we talk about kid, white kids wanting to get into public office because they have the privilege to do so. Yeah. He had the financial backing to accumulate all this debt. Because you know it's never going to affect his life because At his all. his particular ideal in life was to get to the bench, yeah. not to make money. Because money's not an issue for me. At all. At all. You know? Like mo- a $92,000 country club debt, like, okay. Yeah, none of that matters to me. No. And then, oh, I'm getting I'm up for Supreme Court nomination. I can get my family. I don't need a, I don't need a conservative network to pay my, to pay my bill. I just need, I just need to call daddy. Mm-hmm. To help, and then what people don't realize about the financial disclosure, it doesn't show net worth. It just shows that I'm not going to have conflicting statements yeah. or conflicting, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And so, what he stated on the record was like, and which he didn't, it was like he was like the loud. He said the loud part, uh, the silent part out loud, that I was able to pull money from my, you know, from my network to in order to pay off the debts. And he kind of he could leave it at that, and it, that's fine. The bigger question I have, and this is what I have to problem with Democrats, is that why are we not attacking, not the fact where did Kavanaugh get the money, because we know where he got the money. Mm-hmm. This is a, that's a, that's a, a red herring. Yeah. The bigger question is why are you not attacking the fact that there are literally organizations spending up to $400 million on placement of judges, conservative judges in our system? That's the bigger question. And, is, the, yep. and the fact that you spent time Talking about dark money in politics and who who may have paid off the debts of our judges, mm-hmm. and then you got Democrats talking about we need to do we need to take having off the bench because someone who paid off the debts is a is a Trojan horse of bullshit. Yeah, man. You know, and that's where I'm at with it. We look, we, Citizens United has been the law of the land for what over a decade now. More than that. So like it's been two decades now. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you have. Um, that's what it is. So we we've allowed dark money to legally now penetrate the system. Right. But to your point that you know these organizations are basically able to pick judges based off of they're able to buy judges and put them on the bench. That's. But it's not what, buying judges; it's buying campaigns. Yeah, campaigns but, to put the judges to in put the place. The, right. So you're buying the. So yeah. whether it's the Chamber of Commerce or yeah. federal federal look, what is going on? In my brain is more federalist. Yeah. So. Where we are now is the argument that the Supreme Court is no longer a legitimate institution. Right. And it's not because of the people. Right. Well, technically, I guess it is because, like you said, Kavanaugh, not a very smart man. Right. Based off of what the what we thought 
the people are that sit on the bench. So when they're ruling on cases that are watershed, so to speak, so when they end up shredding, you know, Roe v. Wade, right. you know, coming up, it'll be, well, this court isn't legitimate. Right. Okay. So you just reached that, reached that point now. So to me, my question becomes, how far behind are we to where we will finally understand that none of this shit has ever been legitimate, especially as it relates to black people? Right. So we've never been a full participant to take advantage of the spoils of the system, so to speak, unless you got a little bit of money. So to that point is where, and I just wanted to make sure I'm, I'm very clear here yep. and, and to go along with that. Mm-hmm. Republican organizations are not worried about trying to get Kavanaugh on the bench. Mm-hmm. The public organizations, and I wanted to write this down, the far more effective and better strategy and legal strategy is for swaying the courts in your favor is not to bribe a Supreme Court justice and put him on the, on the Supreme Court bench. Mm-hmm. It's actually with, to promote hundreds and hundreds of predictable conservative judicial nominees to put them on the bench because that is what the integrity of this system is about. Yeah, absolutely. Not the Supreme Court. The cabinet is not the issue. Kavanaugh is not, it's the it's organization, the lower, and, yeah. the lower course of putting yeah. people on the bench. Yeah. And that is what the, and challenge, we talk about not challenging, Democrats don't want to challenge the system. Mm. It's challenging the system of not who's on the Supreme Court bench, not KBJ being on the bench, not Amy Coleman Barrett being on the bench. It's a system of judicial, of judges, which goes back to my opening, mm-hmm. that we have not wanted to attack this entire judicial system. Needs to be reframed. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's where we're, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, one hundred percent. And that is where the Republicans figured this out forty years ago, and Democrats haven't figured this out. We're still worried about. We're still playing in the first quarter, and they moved on to the second match. I told you, man. Like it's it's really and truly to me, it's as simple as they really don't want to piss their power structure off. Yeah, but I think the other uh, the other side of that. About you know us or Democrats supposedly not, we also are terrible. We we turn these figures into celebrities, which I think is a huge mistake. Right, because that means that they're not really allowed to make mistakes. Right. So you know when I saw uh, the one thing the man that really pissed me off is that Biggie is my favorite rapper of all time, and when I saw that they were calling that woman the notorious RBG, yeah. Like that really yeah, pissed me off. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, we can't have shit. We can't like, we have can't shit. have now, a y- damn y'all, y'all thing. Done, y'all done. Yeah, y'all done colonized. Yeah, like yeah. then I saw pictures of her with the crown tilted on yeah. her head or whatever. So it's like, okay, well, we're, we're she's canonized now. We are not allowed to criticize that woman. And when she told, you know, when she made that statement that Cap needs to sit his ass down, I'm like, that's what y'all get for going along with this bullshit. Because now y'all have put this woman at a place to where she is. She's so far above being above reproach. Yes. Yeah. And so that's my fear with in it, it goes to Obama, it goes to um the notorious RBG, it goes to KBJ, it goes to Biden, all these people. When we start to lose the ability to critique to, them, that's when we're in trouble. That's man. when we're in trouble. So I want you to um because you know we've gone, we've gone on, I want you to yeah. give me your final thoughts. On yeah. this particular so, everything we talked about, I, I think overall, um, you know, it, it was political theater. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad 
You know, I'm glad that there was a black woman that was put up for nomination on the court and yeah. that she did receive some type of support, whether it was from this, you know, members of the Senate or the House. But there were throngs of black people across the country that were holding watch parties and were tweeting about it, talking about it on social media to offer their form of protection for her. I thought that was really good to see. Right. But the other side of that is that I'm still waiting for us to pivot away from. Uh, the the spoils of identity yeah. that we we cannot continue to just hang on to. Well, she will be the first black. I saw a tweet the other day that said um, she's going to be the first black person appointed since Thurgood Marshall. And the point they were trying, trying to make, to make is Clarence that Thomas Clarence Thomas ain't yeah, yeah. black. And I'm like, yeah. like that's some bullshit, man. Like this this is why identity is an issue. Right. That you're tying. You know your identity, identity. Yeah, yeah, to like I, I, I really want us to pivot beyond that because I'm not telling you, you know, you got to criticize everything that they do, but if there's something that you see come across, like mm, that ain't what it is, like you can offer something without being right. disrespectful, right? And we're not there. It's we got to protect, protect, protect. We got to elect, 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 and we got to listen, listen, listen. Right? Who you listening to? Who you electing? And who are you protecting? And from all of this, it still further uh, crystallizes in my mind. We have a certain type of black person that we are willing to protect and others we willing to, to just throw into the wolves. And I'm not talking about the Clarence Thomases of the world. Right. I'm talking about folks, black people who offer legitimate criticisms of the system. And one person that comes to mind is Mark Lamont Hill that he's he's I ain't gonna say always. But he was firm that he is a Green yeah. Party member. He is not a Democrat. Yeah. So when he came out and said that Hillary was more dangerous than Trump, and we can all have our criticisms of that statement, he wasn't making that statement as a Democrat. He was making that statement as a member of the Green Party. So when he lost his job at CNN, they fired him because he had the audacity they fired him for this for, for Palestine issue. They fired him for standing up for Palestinians. He had the audacity to do that. On mainstream television. And so CNN said, we can't fuck with you no more. Right. BNC picked him up, the black news channel, which is shutting and down. Now it's been defunct. Yeah. But we were so quick to, I don't give a fuck about him. He said, you know, Hillary's money. And we, we see how that played out. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, come on now. Right. Like, have you, like, don't do not do that. Like, don't, he's for us. Right. You can criticize what he said without throwing him completely away. Right. And so that's the issue that I've had. Like, I'm waiting for us to make that turn, and we just haven't gotten there yet. And I think seeing this hearing lets me know we still got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, so my thoughts are, you know, and again, love letter to black culture, um, you know, dear black culture, sometimes I ponder on our need to be included in the white institutions of power and prestige. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand why we have to do this. The functionality of our lives depends on this. But my pondering circles on our inability to operate without the validation of joining a structurally restrictive environment. As a black person operating in a majority white space, we've all we've all sat there and smiled through our internal grimace. The awkward questions, the inappropriate jokes, the weird exchanges, the improper assumptions, the unfair evaluations, the inadequate responses, and the inequitable, inequitable treatment. What's you, what the soon-to-be Justice Brown experienced was unfortunately more commonplace than we care to admit. The public flogging of an unqualified black woman, of a qualified black woman by unqualified men, who are not even her theoretical equal, was both dehumanizing and hard to stomach. But it was oddly familiar, which is what made it even more sadder. 
See, you, when I ponder existential importance of aligning with the very thing that doesn't validate us, it's not because I have an answer. It's because I'm really wondering, why do we do this to ourselves? For Judge Katana G. Brown Jackson, it also bellows the obvious statement of, well, you signed up for this. A three-time appointed federal judge who sits on a committee board of one of the most elite institutions in the world and is part of a D.C. social club with the invite-only admittance. She's ostensibly part of the system or the club she looks to rise up into. That she deserves the treatment? Absolutely not. But when you're in the club and you're looking to advance within that institution, you have to know the daggers are coming. You got to know that you have to go to the Senate floor to receive your lashings. It's terrible. It's antiquated. It's bullshit. But we all get it. It's unavoidable. You can't afford a floor when you're on the club. And with that being said, we're going to write out with this song. Thank you for listening to Uncultured Bias, and we're out. Right, right.